1: entry 1024.GN2917, certificate number 24193. The
0: Rachel. I mean, maybe you were
1: on the right track with that whole, you know, spontaneous thing. I mean, women really like that. Really? I mean, if it were me, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd want you to...
2: What? I don't know, I'd catch me off guard, you know, with like a really good kiss. You know, really... Sort of um, soft
1: at first. And then maybe um, brush the hair away from my face. Uh. And then look far into my eyes in a way that lets me know something amazing is about to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Rachel is uh, a haircut. In the early 1990s, using our archaic dating system, there was a a popular television show called Friends that became internationally popular. It wasn't just popular in America because it, it represented an idealized version of what would happen if six young white people lived together in implausibly nice apartments in New York City and seemingly hardly ever went to work, spent most of their time lying around, which is actually how I spent the 90s, but I wasn't quite as beautiful. And uh, one of the characters in the show, uh, played by the actress Jennifer Aniston, was named Rachel Green. And Rachel, at the end of the first season, but certainly throughout the second season, um, rocked a haircut. <laughs> That's how we described it at the time. At the t- you know, you in the future,
1: if you have hair, probably merely have haircuts.
0: Right. Or wear a hairstyle. But we rock them. Some of us rocked them. And Rachel Green certainly rocked this haircut, uh, which now, and certainly to futurelings, just looks like a normal haircut. There is nothing about this haircut that, to our modern eyes, would suggest how radical it seemed and how much it overtook the culture in its time. Well, let me remind you of
1: the premise here, John. We're, we're talking to hypothetical future people, possibly millennia hence, about essential bits of our culture mm-hmm. that we fear may be lost to the mists and the sands of time. Right. Uh, why does a haircut from a 1990s television series so delight and inspire you?
0: I ha- I have to know. Well, because it really swept the world implausibly. It was a haircut that didn't exist and then did exist. And I think transformed in a way, transformed the culture even more than the show initially.
1: I think we can all remember when British Prime Minister Tony Blair had the Rachel
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. for example. But there have been Several instances. Astronauts. There have been instances of this throughout our culture over time, certainly in the twentieth century, periodically an actress would wear her hair a certain way and it would sweep the nation. And it was a, a psychological phenomenon as much as anything. It's some kind of mass hypnosis, you think? I must have that hair. Well, where the haircut represented something bigger than just the style. Ah, it's the life. It's the life. The haircut suggests a kind of freedom. It's often a sort of freedom or a sort of uh, location in time.
1: You know what I'm picturing when you say this is like Louise Brooks's 20s bob. That's exactly a perfect
0: example. Louise
1: Brooks's Bob. Because you don't just see, that's a short unconventional haircut. You, you see, look at all that fun she's having with her unconventional bohemian life and her friends in Vienna and whatever she's doing in this silent movie. And, you know, you can't have that. Right. You can't move to Vienna. Or you can if... Right.
0: You can go to your hairdresser. And when you think about Louise Brooks... Just prior to that, I mean, all through the 19th century and into the early 20th century, there was only really one way for a woman to wear her hair, which was grown all the way out and then pinned up in an elaborate sort of architecture. I mean, there wasn't really a woman's haircut. It was just long.
1: Is that true? Like women, would their, their hair would just be as long as it got and you would just do
0: your best with that? You would braid it or you would pin it up or you would wear it under a hat. but Everybody had fundamentalist, big love hair. Yeah, because it was just, I mean, at the time, there wasn't another suggestion. And what was so revolutionary about the flappers was both that they were liberated by cutting their hair short, and that kind of, it wasn't just a middle finger to the patriarchy, but it was also, I mean, I don't know if you, well, obviously, you've never worn long hair, given that you are. Uh, masculine icon
1: given that i've had this haircut since i was you know my seven-year-old uh childhood portraits at sears that's yeah. when that's when men choose their haircuts basically
0: you walk into any barbershop in america and say haircut please <laughs> i'll have one haircut i have a like a little coupon that says haircut yeah. on it. well your cheapest haircut please <laughs> hey <laughs> I mean, there are haircuts that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And let me just say to the future listener, yours is not one. Right? What do you pay for a haircut? The one I have right now. Yeah, between twenty and forty dollars. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. So the the flapper, the liberation of the flappers was they had short hair. They also raised the hemline of their dresses all the way up to their knee. And you could suddenly be Thin, like the fashion of flappers was to not have a bust or a bustier, but uh, have this sort of thin line body style.
1: The bust and bustier are two different things. I guess uh, I, I don't know my 1930s <laughs> words for sexual secondary <laughs> characters. I thinks. mean, your
0: bust is the bust, is your actual physical. The architecture, breasts, your your yourself, right? I think we
1: can say breasts on this podcast. You, they it's are not one of the seven words you can't say to future listeners.
0: Your your breasts are your bust, whereas the bustier is the lingerie that accentuates the bust.
1: Oh, I see. Right? I thought I thought you were. I thought the second thing was going to be like you couldn't have a big caboose. Well, that's a bustle
0: ah confusingly,
1: why do they all have bust in the name it's very unclear was that the most sexual syllable people could think of well at the turn of the century
0: i read i read a thing not very long ago where some uh archaeologist or some cultural anthropologist was suggesting that the site of buttocks was the original sort of um like sex allure or the the first aphrodisiac was the sight of buttocks sort of maybe running away from you <laughs>
1: <laughs> or raised in surrender i've actually heard that's where the heart comes from, the shape of a Valentine heart, maybe the shape of of a bottom the thing you want to see the most somebody's bottom raised
0: and so the bust, the bustier, ah. is, is a way of taking the breasts and making them look like a buttocks.
1: <laughs> is there any way to make me look more... So it's like walking in with a coupon that says, can you please make my chest look more like a butt?
0: Yeah, please? give me a front butt, please, in addition to a back butt, because I would like to stand and have people look at me from the front.
1: I want to be admired. I would like to have butts covering the entire surface area of my body. That's always been my dream. Right.
0: So just prior to the flapper era... The ideal female female form within the culture was a very narrow waist. An a, hourglass. An hourglass.
1: You've got some kind of under bodice or something underpinning your your skirt that makes it poof out.
0: Yeah, it was made of metal. And you couldn't
1: get through doors. Uh, whalebone. Like Scarlett O'Hara trying to get through a door. <laughs> She's like turning sideways.
0: And then all of a sudden, all of that is swept away. And you have these short the short hair. And sh- so it was truly a liberation And it's fashion.
1: I I guess I often think of it as sort of a gender bending thing. Like, Ooh, Louise Brooks has short hair, you know, what's going on. So say, say goodbye gender roles or or with, with skirts being shorter, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more sexualized, but I guess you're making it sound like there's a convenience angle, right? Well,
0: so if you, uh, so I have worn my hair very long over the years, several times I've grown my hair down to the middle of my back as part of a rock and roll lifestyle. Sometimes it's just because I Stop caring for myself, and other times it was yeah, largely because I stopped caring for myself but a lot of people don't know about your hairband era uh well you know i handed <laughs> I handed my hair uh, at some point too, but like even now for a guy, I wear my hair a little long I mean it's not quite a rachel, but it's it's um and you' and
1: you're making fun of my strip mall haircut, but you I believe cut your own hair
0: I do cut my own hair is that true I do, and we for two men in our middle age, we still both have all our hair, which is right, which is a thing to I don't know to note at least. Do you know the
1: numbers on male pattern baldness? There's a rule of thumb where uh, your odds of having male pattern baldness are essentially the same as your age. What? Like 18% of eighteen percent of eighteen-year-olds already have are already going bald. Oh no, kidding. Yes, but unfortunately, you know, 68% of sixty-eight percent of sixty-eight-year-olds <laughs> are going bald. <laughs> And that's why when you turn 101, you're, you you know, you're guaranteed, you're super bald. That's when you goes off the scale. You start making other people
0: bald. My uncle went bald at 22, right? Which, I mean, fully bald, which happens to a certain percentage of people. But you and I don't even really have thinning hair. We're still both pretty hair suit.
1: I'm getting to the point where, like, in summer, I can get a sunburn in a place I did not used to get a sunburn oh, on top, which I is see. maybe sorry the first sign. But I feel like we're doing Jennifer Aniston a disservice by talking about our own unfashionable hair. Well,
0: so if you have long, long hair, and particularly if you have thick hair, that hair weighs a lot. Carrying, oh. And, you know, your head and neck are strong, but you're adding, in some cases, five extra pounds of hair so, ungainly hair. So it's not just
1: styling time. You're actually like a beast of burden if yeah. the patriarchy is making you have this crazy Gibson girl hair.
0: And so I think during the flapper era, when you cut off that five extra pounds of hair, you feel lighter. You feel unburdened of your uh, your patrimony. And you really are free to dance the jitterbug to the jazz. You could do the Charleston <laughs> on a table. You, you could do <laughs> That's right. Coney Island washboard. Uh, <laughs> so you can do the Charleston all, on the boardwalk
1: all the time. If I could lose five pounds by getting a more convenient haircut, I would do it immediately. That's, yeah. that's like living the dream on so many axes.
0: But then styles changed, right? And then in the 40s, you had sort of unusual quiffs that were quite a bit longer. Hair grew out again. I think all the way through the Depression, all the way through the 1930s, like chin-length bobs were still... Pretty in fashion if you were a dust bowl oaky headed out to the West. Or even a man if you're Prince Valiant. Right. Right. <laughs> uh what? but then in the 40s, hair got long again, and then in the 50s, you know, Marilyn Monroe and Gina Lola Brigida kept their hair kind of head-shaped. It's very curled and quaffed and up, right? It's... Right. And then in the mid-sixties, you had this phenomenon of Twiggy and Mia Farrow and Goldie Hawn, Twiggy. who Introduced a really short haircut, like a boy's haircut, into the fashion. Twiggy has to be explained now,
1: right? Like she's—I was—I guess it was the same thing as Louise Brooks, you know. Like, um, you know, it was all bombshell Jane Mansfield type figures, right? And the you know the new London style was um, Twiggy, who is actually named for the fact that she is a stick-like, svelte figure,
0: super tall with, with no, no curves, no curves at all, and a boy's haircut. So a truly androgynous fashion model of the mid 60s and she becomes
1: famous through the haircut did you know this She, she, she got her uh went to this fashionable mayfair hairdresser to get her haircut and he gives her this sort of very cutting edge boys cut pixie cut that nobody had and puts her it comes out so well he puts the picture up in his shop and that's when fashion editors see the thing and say who is this is that a model you know so she had the haircut first and then became Famous honestly. Well now Audrey Hepburn also had a
0: short haircut, but not that short, right? Yeah, she... what's her what's her most pixie-ish haircut? Like uh... Breakfast at Tiffany's. Did she had yeah, she had long hair for Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah, her
1: shortest hair is like when she's like in Funny Face with Fred Astaire, when she's sort of like a an elfin dancer type. Right. But that actually predates Twiggy slightly. But, but
0: still it's not it's not quite it's that. A little longer uh, in the back. A little I longer. Think. Yeah. yeah. And then the response to that or then culturally by the late sixties, again, long, straight flower, child, flower, child hair.
1: And my assumption about all this, and maybe I'm wrong, is that it's all a huge scam. Am I just too cynical that, uh, you know, there's no profit to be made if people are always wearing the same kinds of clothes. I mean, people will always need haircuts, but you can get people to buy clothes more and cut their hair more if there's a cycle,
0: right? Well, we live in a world which is curiously post fashion cycle in a lot of ways. Um, is it, or do we just? Does it just seem that way to us? No, I think it is because right now you are wearing clothes that twenty years ago would have been would have communicated exactly what they communicate now: a plaid shirt over a t-shirt with some rock dudes on it, and that was the look of it's, people and, and Levi's you and know, Levi's. like
1: the, the most timeless. Like I, this is what you were in a time machine, basically. Yeah,
0: that was what you would w- would have worn in 1975, right? Uh, Thirty five years ago. So. Something happened in the nineties where fashion just fell in upon itself. And if you want to dress like Twiggy today, or you want to dress like Louise Brooks, or you want to dress like a Gibson girl.
1: Nobody will bat an eye, right? Right.
0: Because all fashion is equally, like, equally valid now. But what that means is that there isn't any new look or, you know, the brand new look for 1962. Wow. Does that mean the Rachel was the last Rachel?
1: Like the Rachel was it as far as maybe possibly in history, the last look that everyone had
0: to have? Well, so that's, uh, that's kind of, that's the end of the monoculture. That's my suggestion, right? That the Rachel swept the world. And now we live in a post Rachel world where the Rachel continues to be a haircut that you can go into a salon and wear, and if you go online and look, there are all the, because there's still obviously a lot of fashion industry. There are a lot of fashion blogs, but you can find multiple instances over the last 20 years where someone would write a magazine article saying the Rachel is back. And it basically happens every three years. The Rachel is back. And for a certain sort of shape of face, The Rachel never went out of style. You can still, I mean, it's sort of, we think of it now as uh, maybe a suburban mom haircut, but I think it's still, I think it was potentially the last monoculture haircut. My theory is we tried everything.
1: Well. Like once there's one of everything out there, you know, it's impossible to come up with the new eye-catching look. Like when I was a kid watching you know, sort of early seventies TV that was, you know, predated me by maybe half a generation, you know, looking at the wide lapels and pant legs and neckties on Barney Miller or whatever, Uh I would just, just laugh and laugh and think, good thing we in the eighties with our skinny ties, know better, you know, (laughs) tiny Um, collars. Right. And, uh, I don't think that's possible anymore. You know, now you look at a TV show 10 or 20 years ago and you think, oh, those are all looks that still exist because we tried all the extreme fashions. We tried, we ties went as wide as they could go and narrow as they could go. And now, every time you see somebody try something with a tie, it's not a new thing.
0: Well, so you've tried all the possibilities. You do see now a cycle, right? Like for the last five years in menswear, the style has been tiny lapels. Tiny collars, tiny ties very trim very trim draper influenced kind of a fitted thing, right, and like high water pants and short sleeves, like really what you would call an ill fitting suit by typical standards. if you look at James Bond in the last James Bond movie where he's running out in the desert somewhere in the Atacama desert, probably uh wearing a tuxedo, it is by traditional men'swear standards a completely ill-fitting tuxedo. You see all this shirt between the bottom button of the jacket and the top of the pants. Like, the pants are low-rise. I mean, none of this is what you would call a good-looking suit.
1: That's the kind of thing that looks fashion-forward four or five minutes. You know, right. you're like, ah, oh, good, James Bond has the newest thing, but then dates immediately, and immediately. suddenly it's Roger Moore in a powder blue tux.
0: So if I keep saying to people who are like, I'm going to go buy a suit. I'm like, do not get a fashionable suit. You're going to look idiotic in two years, because this, you know, the center can't hold with this style. Is it worth it,
1: trying to look fashionable? You get two years of being Daniel Craig, you get two years of people dressing like you, you get two years of Jennifer Aniston uh, facing a world full of duplicates. How how horrifying that must be for her,
0: by the way. Well, so Jennifer Aniston has recently, uh, fairly recently, within the last five or six years, come out on record as having hated the Rachel haircut. What? uh, Even though it was you could make a case that it was the thing that made her famous. She was the standout star of friends, which was an ensemble show where each one of the six cast members got equal screen time. And she was not the famous one at the time. At the time, the famous one was Courtney Cox.
1: People had seen Courtney Cox
0: in the, uh,
1: Bruce Springsteen Dancing in the Dark video. That's right.
0: Which I always thought was a video that was a legitimate live video where he pulled a legitimately cute girl out of the audience to dance with. I will pick America's Next Sitcom Uh. sweetheart for I Am the Boss. (laughs) But in fact, she was somebody's niece, you know, some like executive producer's niece. And that whole thing was... It was a setup. I mean, obviously it was a setup. If you look at it now, it's clearly a setup. But at the time, I I still thought that Bruce Springsteen was was real and that somehow you could be making a live music video with seven cameras.
1: You thought he actually got fired from the plant after he got back from Vietnam. That's right. You thought all the things in his song actually happened.
0: He was driving around
1: in an old (laughs) Studebaker. I can't believe they shut down the cannery,
0: (laughs) Bruce thinks to himself as he heads out on stage. Uh, So she resented the haircut, and probably that's understandable, right? Like, just in the way that Kurt Cobain resented the fact that he became a star, even though, of course, that's all he wanted before he became a star. I'm
1: glad Jennifer Aniston shouldered through. I'm glad she did not leave a bloodied Rachel
0: in her greenhouse. The thing is, if (laughs) if you look at Friends, which went over the course of 10 seasons, she abandons the Rachel haircut. Really, after the first couple of seasons, she starts growing her hair out. And for the remainder of the show, I mean, there are Rachel-y aspects to her hair, but mostly she grows it out. And and at some point in the show, it's it's quite long. So she didn't, I'm sure she was under considerable pressure to keep the Rachel as long as she could because it was her signature. But she got away from that hair as fast as she could.
1: How terrible. Like imagine a network sending you notes about how they, you know, yeah.
0: they've done the math and
1: uh, this your is, hair seems a little long, Jennifer. This is uh, yeah, your personal grooming is affecting
0: our ratings in Topeka. But I feel like once the Rachel was, once it had gained a foothold and became a ubiquitous haircut, you could almost look at her and project a Rachel upon her, even though her hair wasn't a rachel yet she still anymore. has she still has her inner rachel the, and, the aura of the rachel and the story was that her hairdresser was stoned that day and feeling kind of his stony oats and was like let's do something well, my, new
1: chris mcmillan yeah he uh was was loaded when he gave me the haircut out his mind, so uh, this is true <laughs> and he, uh, he didn't think about like, oh, she's going to have to do this herself. I'm having a great time being creative with this blow dryer. And then leaves me with a round brush and a hair dryer. I don't, and I don't know how to make it look like that. I just, you know.
0: And so, yeah. he claims it's that he was over the course of a little while working with her, trying to grow her bangs out. And had gotten to a place where, well, her bangs were half grown out. And the rest of her hair was sort of, you know, longer in the back. And it sort of looked unkempt. And he was trying to give her a haircut that incorporated half-grown-out bangs. Well, let's take a break uh, and think about that, and we'll be right back. When it comes to meat,
3: quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher-quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code
1: iHeart at checkout. So we should say to the futurelings what this hair looks like. I don't know what this hair looks like. Like, like if you told me, draw a Rachel, I don't know if I could, like... As a police artist, I don't think I could do it. What, what even is, what what qualifies as a Rachel? Because you're right. It seems like just some fairly unremarkable
0: woman's haircut. What I think made it revolutionary was that it was two haircuts at once. It was long hair in the back and, but not a mullet, obviously, but it was long. But then in the front around the face, it was kind of cut like a bob. So the hair that, that framed her chin and framed the side of her face was shorter and not so much shorter i mean but not bangs right it was it's still red as long hair but it had this other element that if you look at it this way with depth from the front to the back it's quite a bit shorter in the front than it is in the back which is tip- which would be unusual for a woman's hairstyle at the time i mean there were there were shag haircuts throughout the 70s where it's sort of shorter on top and choppy you know, you think about the Joan Jett or the Chrissy Hine haircut. Right. Uh, that's that, that was a unisex haircut. That's also what Mark Bolin wore. Or You know, it was a mod modish 70s rocker haircut. But those were worn quite a bit differently. Uh, the short hair was quite a bit shorter, and the long hair was quite a bit longer. So it also read as long hair, but had short elements on the top that kind of stuck out and were spiky. And then Farrah Fawcett had a very similarly influential haircut in the late 70s, which we ended up calling feathered hair, Right, which was also sort of shorter in the front and on the sides than in the back, but it was very meticulously brushed back in a kind of way that looked like the feathers of a bird. And that was not a
1: thing, feathered hair.
0: No, and it was radical in 77, eight. And nine, such that it swept the nation. People
1: would ask for the Farah. Yeah. Hey, uh, and she ac- was famous for her hair. And it's funny that the Rachel is the name of the character, right? The Farah is the name of the actress. It's not the whatever her Charlie's Angels name was, right? Which I can't remember at the at the moment. I can't either. The future generations could have known the name of one of the angels. <laughs> when
0: you go back, futurelings, and find Charlie's Angels reruns, you will understand how revolutionary this hair was, because all three of those actresses. Had distinctive haircuts that were sort of defined their character. Right. Uh, the kind of tomboyish smart one had. Sabrina? Is that right? No, Kate Jackson was. Wasn't S- Kate Jackson Sabrina? Sabrina was the teenage ghost. <laughs> okay,
1: For, that's wrong on so many levels.
0: <laughs> no, uh, I don't remember what their names were, but no, Kate and. No, her actress is Kate Jackson.
1: <laughs> what? Now, wasn't that Janet Jackson? <laughs> Almost positive.
0: Boo. Although
1: Janet Jackson did popularize the braid she wore in the movie Poetic Justice. But that was a lot later. Mm -hmm. We should just mention one not-white hairstyle, for crying out loud.
0: Well, there. so there are plenty of those. But also, there are plenty of examples of Halle Berry and black actresses of the 90s and 2000s wearing the Rachel. Oh, really? If you go and look at people—I mean, basically the Rachel— disseminated throughout the culture so that every actress, every Hollywood actress, regardless of race, has a period in their career where they were wearing a version of the Isn't race. Isn't America great that regardless of
1: race, color, or creed, <laughs> we can all wear the same white uh, suburban hairstyle. Yeah, pretty so,
0: soccer mom haircut. Pretty extraordinary. What a country. I remember in the nineteen eighties trying to feather my hair. Because men men did it too. They Lee wanted feathered. this
1: the Leaf Garrett kind leaf of Leaf Garrett
0: feather. And my hair really resisted feathering because it wanted to be a helmet. I had the bowl haircut where my mom put a mixing bowl over my head and just cut all the hair that, that stuck out. The rite of passage. Right. You, the, you can see
1: all sitcom children of the era had it. The John Denver haircut.
0: <laughs> the John uh, Denver, the John Denver. we would say. Give me the John Denver, give mother. Me, give me the John Denver, which was, oh, actually, Dorothy Hamill. Right, had a women. Very famous haircut. Uh, she was an Olympics figure skater. And had this flouncy, undercurled bob, and she would twirl on her skates, and it would go. Whoop, it would fl- like a like a carnival r- ride. <laughs> it would. It would floop out, and that went around. Uh, that went around the country. Everybody wanted a Dorothy Hamill hair, which might be the only one from the world of sports. I can't think of sports
1: ever giving us another uh, maybe fashion trend of any kind.
0: Uh, well, let's I mean, see. Jordans and stuff, but I mean, hair. Would Clothing? you say that? John McEnroe hair ever? <laughs> I thought you were going to say John Madden. No, John I Madden's don't think hair. we all have John Madden hair. <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
1: maybe that's a very white perspective. Maybe that's not true at all. And maybe people do want uh, whatever the sports hero has. Maybe I mean, that's it, what they take to the barbershop.
0: It will be interesting to, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Whether, uh, you know, where the style of kind of cutting... The stripe into your into hair cut kind of: a, that, Whether that came from sport or not, I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like short hair is just how sports figures wear their hair. It stays out of your eyes, and it although maybe Julius Irving introduced: it's the, true. maybe more people had afros because of the ABA. But I think that happened. I think that was culturally that came from the '60s. Right. Anyway, so there are plenty of instances, right, where, the, where a hairstyle sweeps the nation. But the Rachel, the Rachel had the, the, I think the greatest lasting impact. How so? Well, because it's still, I mean, you don't see Farrah Fawcett hair now or really Dorothy Hamill hair, but you see Rachel, you see the Rachel
1: everywhere. But in accordance with your previous theory, that's because maybe it's less of a fashion forward. Look at me. Look, you know, the Rachel is a softer, more chameleonic kind of a thing. It's not, it's less of a statement and therefore has aged a little
0: better? Well, uh, at the time, it seemed like the whole hair world had been turned upside down. And I, I can't emphasize enough what a, what a startling look it was in its moment, even maybe more so than the Farrah huh. or the Dorothy Hamill. And yet, I think, and I think the mistake that people made was thinking that it looked good on everyone. <laughs> really what it what I, I think a big part of why it was fashionable is that people identified with the character of Rachel Green cuz it's not the Jennifer. It's not the Jennifer. Partly because she wasn't that big a star then, right? She, right, and and no one knew this you... was before she'd married Brad Pitt. It was before she had very much of a, a of what became her pop culture personality.
1: Sure, people Probably thought of it as Rachel's haircut on Friends, not the haircut Jennifer Aniston wears in her role on Friends.
0: I think so. And Rachel on Friends was initially a kind of spoiled, like her introduction, the first episode of Friends, she shows up in her wedding dress, having left her betrothed at at the altar. And she's never considered living an independent life outside of her father's money and her husband's money. And she's decided to leave it all behind and run off to the city to be with her friend Courtney Cox and get a job at a cafe and be this sort of freewheeling young woman in the city and discover herself.
1: Daddy, I just... I can't marry him. I'm sorry. I just don't love him. Well, it matters to me. (laughs) Come on, Daddy, listen to me. It's like all of my life, everyone has always told me, you're a shoe. And then today I just stopped and I said, what if I don't want to be a shoe? What if I want to be a... A purse, you know, or, or 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 a hat. No, I don't want you to buy me a hat. I'm saying that I am a hat. It's a metaphor, Daddy. Every other character on Friends has kind of a one-line pitch, right? Monica's the neatnik. Right. And Phoebe's sort of the flake. Right. Joey's a, a, a himbo. Chandler's the sarcastic one. Ross is sort of neurotic,
0: neurotic, and yes, smart. I guess because yeah, he's a
1: paleontologist <laughs> or something. Like, he has a
0: real job,
1: uh, a real job that people have, you right? Know, as you know, he's the paleontologist on your on the floor of your apartment. But what is what is Rachel's? Right. Thing? What is Rachel thing? What is the pitch of Rachel? I think the
0: first pitch uh, of the Rachel Green character was, I, or she is the, I almost, I really self-identify as like, <laughs> wow, I you, am. That was very
1: revealing there,
0: John. <laughs> she was the spoiled rich girl. I and I think not explicitly Jewish, but Her name is Rachel Green. That's
1: a little late for Jewish American princess, right? Isn't that a little offensive in
0: 1990, whatever? I don't think. I think in 1991 or 2, she was the first Jewish American princess to be a star on television. This is before the nanny. But but that's like to me that's an 80s trope, you know, private
1: Benjamin and all this stuff.
0: Right. But you know? this was I mean it takes about 10 years for that stuff to go to sitcom. Isn't
1: that great that she finally assimilated?
0: <laughs> and it's never she never once on the show says, I am Jewish or or says I, you know, we're celebrating Hanukkah or anything <laughs> of the kind.
1: The one where they have <laughs> Yom Kippur. <laughs>
0: But it's implied, I think, it broadly implied, that she's kind of the assimilated Jewish character on the show. Although, you know, Ross is also...
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't his dad Elliot Gould? I mean, Ross seems like sort of the Woody Allen mold,
0: neurotic Jewish guy out of time. It's funny because the, the Friends was, uh, its companion show in the culture at the time was Seinfeld. And that was the in the know, that's what the one you liked. That's the that's, one that the the smarter older right. kids like. Oh liked. no,
1: I watched Seinfeld. I didn't see Friends.
0: Yeah, Friends was for teens, and uh, and Seinfeld was for us grown up sophisticates who listen to jazz. But Seinfeld, like, you know, George Costanza is given this sort of Italian backstory <laughs> right. or whatever, but he's clearly a Jewish character. It's a very Jewish show. Sure.
1: Whereas, and that's often called the genius of Seinfeld that they, you know they dressed Jewish comedy up in waspy names and never referred to it. And uh, so they, you know, they kept the sensibility without scaring anyone off.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, Kramer, I mean, it, yeah, they just sort of gave him this, uh, the, the name of some goofy guy that was doing tours of, of lower Manhattan, but friends again was very like generally had a very waspy sheen. Uh, Absolutely. But so Rachel, Rachel was the fun one. The cute one, and I think that's a big part of why she was so widely identified with.
1: Well, she kind of becomes the every woman, right? Not having a one-sentence pitch makes her, um,
0: you know, that's what you would be if you were hanging out with them. You'd be Rachel. Sure, you could go in and put yourself in those shoes. Right. Whereas, like, for instance, people would say to me, oh, you're the Chandler. I, I got that too, and I. That you were be, that you were Chandler. I mean, yes. we're oh. clearly neither Ross or Joey.
1: Right? Are those your only three choices
0: I as a man so. in the nineteen nineties? I guess so. We're ne- we're not bohunks. You're either dumb, nervous, or or, <laughs> or Chandler, or, or shitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or mean <laughs> to your friends. And within the within the um, I guess what we would call the Sex in the City fication of uh, which girl are you? Right. Uh, pre- which probably does not city. predate
1: Sex in the City, actually. I mean, I can't think of another show.
0: Well, uh Charlie's Angels. Like, which one of the angels are you? <laughs> maybe I'm a little too
1: young, but I don't remember those conversations.
0: Uh, yeah, because there was the... Were those the, just hair color? <laughs> the smart business-like one. Farrah was the, the was the glamorous and a little bit sort of maybe the ditzy one. And then there was the <laughs> the middle one, <laughs> was somewhat <laughs> ja- in between. Jacqueline Smith, who I don't remember. Or Cheryl
1: Ladd, I guess? No, Cheryl Ladd replaced Farrah Fawcett.
0: Yeah, right. But also on the show Three's Company, there were only two gals. But- I, I saw myself as Jack Tripper in that case. Well, yeah, there's only one guy. I, oh, was, no, I was
1: not a Chrissy or a whatever Joyce Stewart's name is. Janet.
0: Janet. So Chrissy was blonde and dumb, and Janet had short, dark hair, looked like Liza Minnelli, and was smart and business.
1: It is problematic, right? The, uh... There's two women in the world.
0: The dumb blonde blonde one one and the smart brunette one. That's right. The smart, short brunette (laughs) one that eh, maybe isn't that cute. You can't really tell.
1: But hey, we can't have two dumb blondes.
0: That would be weird and redundant. And so if you were looking at friends and trying to identify yourself, I mean, Phoebe is pretty flaky.
1: Like who? Yeah. Who thinks I'm a Phoebe?
0: Yeah. Like what kind of a sociopath do you have to be? I'm sure there were plenty of people. And then Monica is so neurotic and so irritating, although earlier today you indicated when asked which of the friends girls did you think was the one for you you said i'm a monica man a monica i called him oh (gasps) yes well i got his machine and i left a message but it's okay it's okay it's okay because you know it was like a casual breezy message
2: it was breezy (laughs) Oh God! What if it wasn't breezy? Well, how could it not be breezy? No, because you're in such a breezy place. Here, I got it. I will play my message for you guys, and you can tell me if it's breezy enough.
3: But
1: Monica? How are you going to do that?
0: I know the code to his answering machine.
1: And I guess what I mean is, I'm a Courtney Cox person. i you know, Courtney Cox is closer to physical ideal for me. But I'm not put off by
0: Monica wanting to keep her apartment neat, for crying out loud. John, clean up your apartment. (laughs) But there's a sense that Courtney Cox was really playing herself in that show and that she personally is annoying. Oh, do
1: you think? I don't know if I have any sense of what it would be like to hang out with Courtney Cox. You think she'd always be straightening the magazines on the coffee table? (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little bit. A little bit controlling, a little bit nitpicky. I'm okay with that. Plan the date, Courtney. Yeah,
0: see, I'm not that way. Like, that's
1: how it worked out with David Arquette. He sort of seems like sort of schlubby slacker type. Yeah. And, and he, she needs, needed so, he needed somebody to whip him into shape.
0: Need somebody to tell him to pay his bills and open his mail.
1: It doesn't seem fair that she had to hyphenate, though. He should have been David Arquette Cox.
0: Oh. I think. Arquette Cox. Cox
1: Arquette? Arquette
0: Cox. Hmm.
1: <laughs> I, guess, I guess that resonates. So, I recently read that uh, comedian Jay Moore, you know Jay Moore from Saturday Night Live and Jerry Maguire? Oh, yeah. He married a sitcom actress named Nikki Cox and decided to take her name in oh. sort of modern egalitarian fashion. Right. And he decided to become Jay Cox Moore. He, he's a comedian who did not choose the funnier order of Jay Moore Morecox. Cox. What a, what a missed opportunity, Jay Moore. Jay Moore
0: Cox. Yeah, I mean you could, I mean that actually if you took the hyphen out and just changed your name to Moorcox, that feels like a the name of a British explorer, right? Somebody that the third guy to the South Pole was Jay Moorcox.
1: It's a it's an explorer who could also be a gay porn star though. <laughs> For true sure.
0: it would be easy to turn his ex- exploration adventures into a porn film
1: right the porn version of that is very easy to imagine
0: i feel like uh, uh, cox arquette sounds like a neurological disorder like yeah. you know i have cox arquette <laughs> oh i'm Syndrome. so sorry
1: cox arquette only one oh. <laughs> only one in six hundred thousand people gets cox arquette
0: yeah they're never they're never going to make a medication for it because it just isn't cost effective
1: maybe if some quarterback <laughs> son gets cox arquette <laughs> then we'll finally get a cure so you're saying that your physical type is not Courtney Cox on any level or,
0: or personality type. You were a Rachel man from the get-go? I think I was. I tried very hard to like Phoebe, but I just never felt any chemistry with her.
1: I'm sure she would say the same.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There are a lot of people that, that feel chemistry with me that, Unbeknownst that isn't, to you? isn't reciprocated. You never know. Now, what's interesting about Friends and the Rachel is that they were almost more... I think maybe, truly, were more popular in the United Kingdom than in America. Uh, Interesting. It is a phenomenon in the UK that friends, both at the time and now in the present day, represent something to them that maybe even Americans can't quite get the whole sense of. Youth? Is it? I think it's a version of America that's popular, you know, the United Kingdom has a fascination with America, just as we have a sure. fascination with them.
1: They watch our movies and they see mailboxes and fire hydrants and, and manholes with steam coming out and they want to they want visit and see that.
0: Yeah. And I think that Friends uh, offered a vision of New York that actually felt pretty spacious. There was lots of elbow room and you could kind of go outside. the The few times they went outside, it seemed like there was lots of room on the sidewalks. And they had these big apartments. And, but also there's a British idea of Americans that we are friendly, outgoing, open to a fault. Yeah. And, and the characters, the cast of friends are all talking about their feelings. They're very generous to one another emotionally, supportive. And I think within the UK, that feels exotic.
1: You've got a, you've got a
0: support group, you know, people
1: in and out of each other's homes in their 20s and, uh, and like a family.
0: Yeah. But not, a but they're family. no one's really related except for Monica and Ross.
1: It does seem like, um, Europeans in general have terrible taste in American television. Have you ever had the experiences of, you know, turning on a TV in Europe and seeing that like Baywatch is on in prime oh, time huge or night, you know, I, when I lived in Europe in the early nineties, Night Rider, which had been off the air here for five years or something was still on in prime time. Yeah. Uh, and i was just mystified Dukes of hazard. exactly i was just mystified at what made this kind of children's entertainment you know this perpetual adolescent kind of stuff uh
0: translate was it language it's i think really the that that those things capture an idea of america that that's very appealing you know if you, if you look at cigarette magazine advertisements for cigarettes in europe often for american cigarettes marlboro for instance are often just an entire like two page spread of a picture of West Texas with nothing there, just completely wide open space that we, I mean, it's not even the beautiful West. It's not mesas. When you take a nap on a road trip, it's it's Nevada. It's just the worst part of the United States where you can see to the horizon and there's not even a cinder block gas station, but those wide open spaces do not exist in Europe, except maybe you know, the, the bonnet, but even that has little villages speckled throughout or trees at the very least periodically. They don't have wasteland. And this is just wasteland. And that is romantic to someone from the UK. That's
1: just the, that's just a sure sign that the grass is always greener. You know, nothing about us craves wasteland, but I guess if you don't have it, And, uh, you know, America, the center of the world does, it seems exotic.
0: I mean, the first time you really experience wasteland, it is pretty profound. I remember on tour, the first time we went to that part of the country, when you leave New Mexico and head into Texas, you get into this place where there's nothing there except speed limit signs, right? There's zero. The only thing they do is the Texas speed limit state cops or the local cops go out and put a speed limit sign that's like 50 miles an hour and you don't see it until you i mean you're going 90 by design you 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 hit this thing and then they're like boop and give you some big ticket i mean it's the biggest scam in the world but we actually pulled over in the van and got out just to experience the wind and the lack of I mean, it's it's pretty profound experience. Just the lack of any kind of thing to put your hand on, except for like a rock with a lizard on it. My people
1: on my father's side come from Muleshoe, Texas, in the Panhandle. Uh, that's not the Panhandle, actually. It's in the north part where Lubbock is. That's not the Panhandle, huh? The Panhandle's west.
0: Well, uh, no, the Panhandle. Is, uh, of, is the Panhandle the rectangle? The Panhandle of Oklahoma near is the, to the west. O-
1: it's near the Oklahoma Panhandle.
0: Yeah, but the Panhandle of Texas would be the would be the top. Part. Oh, you think you, it's the
1: square thing that goes north? Yeah, if you're gonna hold Texas by a handle. I think I would hold it by the thing sticking into New Mexico.
0: Well the thing sticking into New Mexico is its that's its nose. Right? It's its it's its pan nose. The famous pan nose of Texas. I guess I had I never thought about where I would hold Texas. If you're gonna hold Oklahoma, you hold it clearly by the handle, but I would always I always thought that Texas also, was held by the Square Park. So I have that kind of bleak one, one windmill
1: plains in my blood, but I've never been to the to the place where my great grandfather owned the Mule Shoe General Store.
0: Oh, you should go! I
1: need to recover my my panhandle heritage.
0: You know, they talk about Big Sky Montana, but when you get to Montana, the sky really is bigger. What do you think it is? It's just that there's nothing. On the horizon, there's nothing to interfere with it, right? You don't see anything but sky. It's sixty percent of what you have to work with, rather than forty percent.
1: I like sky. I'm not against it, but I feel like I know what it gives me. I'm, I'm never walking around thinking, "I wish I could see more of the sky." Well, right they
0: have now. really tall clouds too, so you get a sense of how tall the
1: sky. Do is. like a really tall cumulonimbus kind of a cloud. Right, that's I a good too. day.
0: Those big Maxfield Parish clouds. Yeah, we don't see those here where we live because they're obscured by <laughs> by, the by the low mist. gray clouds.
1: Do you think that Friends uh, translates would translate to different languages? Like, do the French or the Central
0: Europeans like Friends? I think so. I think it would. It's not like it's, I mean, that's the thing about Seinfeld. There's a lot of colloquialism. Sure, comedy is impossible to translate and still get the laugh. But the the thing about Friends is that the comedy is pretty broad, pretty bland. Like, oh, Monica's nervous, lol. It's not like. It's not Monica's like using very much subtlety to communicate that. It's not very psychological.
1: And the one character
0: trait thing probably
1: works for you. There's nothing particularly American about being a flake or about being sarcastic. I don't right.
0: think. Well, and Ross at one point has a pet monkey. Like that's pretty broad
1: humor. We would not buy that in a sitcom, in any kind of comedy today.
0: No. And the thing is, who's there, whoever had a pet monkey, no one in New York has a pet. monkey. If you could, you would, right? I mean, if you could have a pet monkey, I mean, there wouldn't be so many goths walking around with ferrets.
2: (laughs) On that note, let's take a little moment. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24/7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musicians' award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy, so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musicians' Premium Plus package at musician.com/slash. Start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. But I do
0: feel like when I think of the Rachel, I think of it as now kind of a UK haircut. Oh, do you see it more though? Yeah, if you go to the United Kingdom, you'll see the Rachel and it represents sort of a similar but slightly different thing there. But haven't they they heard that it's, you know, been 20 years
1: and there are other haircuts now? Like, they must have seen the later seasons of Friends, if nothing else.
0: They definitely, I think, sophisticated people in, in the UK feel the same way that sophisticated people in America feel about Friends, which is that it's a show for teenagers or nostalgic generation Xers. But there are a lot of those in in the UK. And I think it represents an, an earlier time where there still were television programs that had no diversity at all. I mean, the only diversity on friends is this one is more nervous than that one, but they're all white early twenties and presenting a kind of affluence if in no other way than just that they have all this leisure and it's
1: unapologetic.
0: You know, there, it, is. it was
1: not an issue at the time. Did you notice that all six of them are white? Yeah, nobody ever. Like, and of course, all six of them are white.
0: <laughs> exactly. As it should be. No like... one ever reflected on their privilege. Right. Nobody of any other race even stopped by Isn't... until later in the, in the show. Right. I mean, uh, there was is, a. Is there a Gabriel Union appearance? Maybe? Part of the problem here is that you and I really haven't watched Friends We are just culturally aware of Friends. I'm so
1: glad we're speaking to people in the future who have no idea what it even is and not a vast audience who has tons of Friends (laughs) knowledge and is aware of of every time we make a Friends misstep. Right,
0: right. Because
1: they have every episode on DVD. The
0: thing that's important about Friends is that it also was... The Rachel wasn't just the last haircut, but Friends was among the last sitcoms that truly... Captured a natural a uh, national zeitgeist after Friends went off the air friends was number was the number one show for many years after it went off the air immediately the number one show was a reality show where it was america 's top model or america 's best key show probably survivor or millionaire something like that and since that time the number one show has consistently been a reality based program there 's never been another sitcom to get to the number one slot.
1: There yeah, comedy is not a monoculture anymore. There's uh it's just it's so niche, you know, you want the comedy that appeals to you. And you were almost insulted by the idea that you might be watching something that 80 million people are laughing at.
0: Right. Um and you have Sex in the City, which is a comedy sort of sitcom, but it was on premium TV. I mean again it was all all white protagonists and it appealed to a certain sort of demographic. It wasn't a broadly watched show
1: i just looked into this for something i'm writing there have been times in american history where 22 of the top 30 shows were sitcoms hmm. um like nbc in the 80s must see tv uh, yeah. kind of a thing the cosby show cheers era 22 of the top 30 shows were comedies do you know how many uh, last year how many one see I'm one in... of the top 30 shows was a comedy and it was big bang theory that's extraordinary and 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 comedy's more popular than ever it's not a sign of the downfall of comedy it's just a sign of the end of the monoculture
0: yeah end of uh, end of of the three networks the end of mass comedy there were 54 million viewers of on a regular basis of friends 54 million people out of 300 million americans
1: all watching it at the same time it's a it's a communal experience yeah when you hear that laugh track that's america laughing at the same time
0: and that is that is gone and uh The idea that there would be a haircut from a television show that I would be personally aware of now. Sure. Pick the most influential show. You do not see people getting
1: the Game of Thrones haircut. (laughs) Give me the Tyrion Lannister. (laughs) It's just it, it doesn't influence fashion or anything the way
0: design the way it used to. I think it's it's evidenced in a lot of aspects, right? Like in the 1950s and 60s, there was a new car design for every single make of cars every two or three years. You know, the, the Pontiac Tempest of 1964 and the Pontiac Tempest of 1968 looked nothing like one another. It was completely redesigned. Because the sense was that if your car was, if if you were trying to sell cars to somebody three years later, it needed to be a whole new look in order to appeal to the buyers. You couldn't just keep foisting the same car off on them. That was just the sense of what people wanted. And it was only in the 80s when all of a sudden you started to see these cars that had a 10-year lifespan where the car didn't really change over time. It's more efficient. And now we see a. A Toyota Camry, it just looks like a breath lozenge for 15, 20 years. I mean, the Prius keeps changing its tail lights, but the brand is the style. It's also a sign of the downfall
1: of, kind of of celebrity culture. You know, we live in more of an egalitarian age where social media and reality TV give us the idea that anybody can be a celebrity. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, the whole hairstyle thing goes back to Madame Pompadour in the 18th century. Hmm. You know, this courtier of, of King Louis the 15th who gets such an influential haircut that people, it's still named after her almost 300 years later, the you pompadour. know, yeah, Elvis and little Richard and Janelle Monet, you know, they all have a haircut that a French courtier made famous in the 1750s just because she was sleeping with the king.
0: Interesting that it became a male haircut.
1: Right. The Most of them don't switch. Uh, I don't know. I've never seen a guy with the Rachel.
0: No, who wasn't like a bass player in a in right. in a, a sort of hip-hop metal band maybe, maybe vigo mortensen
1: in the lord of the rings movies <laughs> has a very end of the rachel i don't know but now i i just think you know that would never you know the days of the, the started with madame pompadour the beginning of modern celebrity and maybe ended with with the rachel are now past us and uh it's no longer i want to look like that glamorous face uh up on the big screen of the little screen
0: and and maybe also, the rise of alternative culture. Sure, I where, want to fit in in my niche. And you fit in within your niche, like if you're a goth, you're gonna wear goth clothes that were invented in. I mean, arguably, goth culture was invented in the early '80s, but it was referencing things from the way beyond Bella Lugosi. But. If you dressed like Robert Smith in 1983, right now you would be identifiable as a goth, and that's the uniform.
1: In the nineties, nobody wanted the goth Rachel. Give me the goth Rachel. Give me the grunge Rachel. They'd say.
0: I think so. Isn't that what Winona Ryder was (laughs) wearing for a long time? The goth Rachel. (laughs) I think there are plenty of examples of of the Rachel being repurposed. You know, there's the Meg Ryan Rachel. There's the the Rachel that was worn by Winona or or Tia Leone or I mean everyone's had it right so there's a there's a Rachel for all seasons and that concludes
1: The Rachel entry number 1024.gn2917 in the omnibus we do not believe that social media will exist in your era listeners but you should know that at one time in your distant past our tweets were archived at at omnibusproject I tweeted as at Ken Jennings John was at John Roderick he was also on Instagram under that same handle. People uh, could even email us using what now seems to you, I'm sure, a very archaic form of electronic communication.
0: Although maybe not. Maybe people are still emailing or maybe giant futurelings are still emailing each other.
1: Sent from we? sent from my telepathic iPhone. Mm-hmm. Our address was
0: theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com. We honestly have no way of knowing how long our civilization will survive. Perhaps... You futurelings are just future iterations of ourselves. You may be wearing the Rachel even now, or you may be wearing the haircut which has come to be known as the Ken Jennings, which still costs $27 <laughs> inflation adjusted. Uh, we ho- we hope that this civilization ending catastrophe may never come. But it may also come in our very near future. This could be my last haircut. If it done this, and I could can, I could stop cutting my hair as of tomorrow because I am immolated in a ball of fire. Because why, why, you know, why bother <laughs> when the ball of fire is coming? If it comes soon, this recording, like everything we produce, may be our final word. But if, in fact, we survive, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.